Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. This afternoon, Philip and I will take down Christmas. Um, This is the first year that we have not done this on New Year's Day, but since we were later getting things up, we are taking them down later as well. It also has much to do with today's weather report, which is a day in the 70s for taking down outside lights seemed the perfect day on which to do it. One of our Christmas traditions um, has also been to read W.H. Auden's Christmas Oratorio for the time being. The Oratorio begins with Advent and proceeds through the flight of the Holy Family from Bethlehem to Egypt. In conclusion, Auden says, well, so that is that. So now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes, Some have gotten broken, carrying them up to the attic. The holly and the mistletoe must be burned and the children ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do warmed up for the rest of the week. Doesn't this capture some of what we might be feeling right now? The Christmas tree, for those who have real Christmas trees, that looked so magical and enchanting with those multicolored lights and treasured ornaments is now dry and sagging. Every year, we love the process of rediscovering our Christmas treasures and remembering from whom or whence they came. But the process of dissembling it all is a chore that we don't necessarily look forward to. But Christmas is not yet behind us. This morning's gospel calls us back to Bethlehem, back to those days immediately following Jesus' birth. It's Luke's gospel that gives us the account of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, with which we're most familiar. The young couple setting off from Nazareth to be registered in Bethlehem. Mary giving birth to Jesus in the stable because there was no room for them in an overcrowded inn. Shepherds terrified by the glory of the Lord and told not to be afraid. But it's Matthew's account of the birth narrative that we heard this morning that says quite simply, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Christmas is not yet behind us, not until tomorrow's feast of the Epiphany. This morning's gospel anticipates that feast, anticipates the arrival of those wise men from the east, bearing their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
During these days of waiting for the Magi to arrive, we are also reminded to remember that the seeds of Jesus' death were sown from the very moment of his birth. When the wise men arrived in Jerusalem and asked where they could find the child who was born king of the Jews, King Herod was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. Matthew's account, which we hear this morning, is as full of intrigue and deception as any good spy novel. The story begins with the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph in a dream, telling him that the child Mary carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that his name is to be called Jesus. Once the wise men have struck fear into Herod's heart with the news of a rival king's birth, he plots to find a way to kill the child. Herod sends the Magi off with the mandate, go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I might also go and pay him homage. But after finding the Holy Family and after offering their gifts, the Magi are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, but to depart by another way. The angel of the Lord appears again to Joseph and tells him to flee with his family because Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod, in his rage, sends his troops, troops throughout all of Bethlehem with an order to kill all the children under the age of two. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus remain safely in Egypt until Herod's death when once again the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Listen to Auden's interpretation of the threat Jesus posed to Herod. Herod said, Oh dear, why couldn't this wretched infant be born somewhere else? Why can't people be sensible? I don't want to be horrid. Why can't they see that the notion of a finite God is absurd? Because it is. And suppose, just for the sake of argument, that it isn't. That this story is true. That this child is, in some inexplicable manner, both God and man. That he grows up, lives, and dies without committing a single sin. Would that make life any better? On the contrary, it would make it far, far worse. For it could only mean that, once having shown them how, God would expect every man, whatever his fortune, to lead a sinless life in the flesh on earth. Then, indeed, would the human race be plunged into madness and despair. And for me personally, at this moment, it would mean that God had given me the power to destroy himself. I refuse to be taken in. Thankfully, the birth of this child Jesus, who was indeed both God and man, has not meant that we are expected to live sinless lives. We have not been plunged into madness and despair. The seeds that were sown at Jesus' birth, the seeds of the inevitability of his death, meant not that a sinless life would be possible for those of us who follow him, but rather that this Jesus has saved us, his people, from our sins. The wise men came to Jerusalem seeking the king of the Jews. 
and some 33 years later, Jesus could be found in Jerusalem, nailed to a cross with a charge over his head that read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. No, Christmas is not behind us, not just yet. The problem with the way that we celebrate Christmas is that we're tempted to leave Herod and the flight to Egypt and the slaughter of the innocents out of the story and out of our memory. We're left with an image of the Virgin Mary robed in a clean blue gown, gazing adoringly at her infant son. Yes, there are angelic proclamations and gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh that surround the birth of our Lord. There is the wonder of a God who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, Emmanuel, God with us. God made finite for a time. There is a star that leads the wise men to a crib in Bethlehem. This is sweet and wondrous indeed. But there is also shame and vulnerability and danger. Joseph was unwilling to expose Mary to the public disgrace her pregnancy seemed to warrant, so he was going to dismiss her quietly until the angel of the Lord intervened. The child who was born the king of the Jews was born in a stable because his parents could find no room in an inn. And no sooner had he been born than his life was imperiled by a king threatened by his very existence. We are often troubled by God's seeming refusal to intervene in the circumstances of our lives. Time and again, we ask the question, why has this happened to me? Why is this happening to someone I love? And it's particularly difficult to have the holidays marked by pain or loss. It seems somehow wrong and unfair. We want God to intervene to alter the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And it's difficult for us to see that God has, in fact, intervened by sending his son to be with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. God's intervention is in his presence with us. The angel of the Lord was with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus in those days preceding and following the birth but only for a time. God didn't provide first-class accommodations for Mary and Joseph, and it's doubtful that the escape to Egypt was easy or trouble-free. God's intervention comes in the promise of his presence with us. We need God's intervention. We need God's presence with us. We need God to be present with us when we have recently lost a loved one to death. We need God to be present with us when our children are in the midst of some crisis. We need God to be present with us when we are being assailed by doubt and uncertainty. We need God to be with us when we watch Australia burn and we worry about the future of our warming planet. We need God to be with us as we worry about the possibility of yet another war and political instability. We need God to be with us every moment of every day. We need God to be with us. We need the light that is the season of epiphany that begins tomorrow. No, Christmas is not yet behind us. Perhaps we ought not to put it behind us even after epiphany. 
To close with Auden, he said, by the event of this birth, the true significance of all other events is defined. For of every other occasion, it could be said that it could have been different. But of this birth, it is the case that it could in no way be other than it is. It is, in fact, by the event of his birth and the event of his death and resurrection that the significance of our lives is defined. And we are left with a promise, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Lo, I am with you always. Amen.